computer. Yes. Did you hear that? Yep. Got it. All right. Okay. Uh, so uh, start the interview off, man. Uh, first of all, I, I want to tell you that I'm really blown away by this album. It's been a very long time coming and uh, talk about making this album with having Kai and Michael Kiske in the band, because I think that the end result turned out really well for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was not a walk in the park, as you may imagine, because you got two, two opinions more in the, in the composer room. But it worked out at the end of the day. Kai came up with a glorious, glorious, fantastic long song like Skyfall. And Michi was, Kiske was, was fine here in Tenerife. We were both singing every day. You may have to, have to imagine if you've got two singers, you have uh, lots of t- trouble concerning who sings what. <laughs> so mm. most of the times I remember Michael's going like, well, I don't want to sing that. I don't want to sing that. You sing that. Then I try to sing it. And uh, sometimes I, I just told him, look, I mean, actually it's your, it's your piece. You should sing that. It's fantastic for your voice. Oh, you think so? so and then we checked out, had to, had to sing both. So at the end of the day, you could easily say, with two singers in the band, you suddenly have double as much work as if you would record your own as the own lone sole uh, survivor of a singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if I just record an album, I'm done in a week. But with two singers, you have to sing everything double. Try mm-hmm. you, try you, and this and that, and uh, it's like a, like a friggin' ping pong, uh, ping pong game. <laughs> so, but at the end of the day, everybody was satisfied. Michael was happy. I was happy. And uh, I think the balance is cool. It's 50-50, a little bit of Kai in between. So that, that's, that's uh, how, how it should actually, the result should have been like that. And so we are super happy. Even though, even though I have written songs which are more made for Michael than myself. But uh, for example, Mass Pollution was too hard for him. He didn't like it singing that hard. Even though I know when I, re- I remember I've, I've heard Michael singing together with me on Mass Pollution. And it was fantastic, but he didn't feel good. He didn't feel comfortable because it's too, a little bit too hard for him. So uh, unfortunately, I sang it alone. But uh, stuff like that happens. I mean, if, if you don't feel comfortable with something and there is another singer, then, then it's quite okay to give the job to him, I think. Sure. So what was it like for you to work with another singer in a band and, and write music with somebody like Michael and you know I can flat out tell you that I you know when I first met you guys I never envisioned something like this ever happening but it did and it it really seemed like everything flowed really well on the album and you know what was it like for you to really write songs with him in mind as opposed to just yourself well honestly it it gives you a few more possibilities because you you don't have to think about making breathing breaks because the singer sooner or later has to breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you are two singers and you realize, okay, yeah, it's like overlapping melodies, you can do that, which, which is a, a really important tool, so to say, which I happen to have used on, for example, The Fear of the Fallen. Um, I just told myself, okay, you, you treat it like, like two string orchestras, two singers, so... You have uh, the melody and you may overlap for half a second or a second and the other guy's already jumping in, which makes it very interesting because normally I always sing the stuff on the guitar and automatically you 
you shorten the ending tone, for example, because you know now I gotta take in some breath and then I go on singing, blah blah blah. This time I try to compose it not only on the guitars, me singing, but actually on the computer. So I sang a sentence and then I said, okay, this, this track is called Michael and I sang a Michael track and I realized, okay, that's cool. Overlapping vocals, leave it like that. I love it. So the technique of, of pre-production and composing changed a little bit. Um, also, it was a lot of fun because you, I had the feeling I don't have to limit myself. So Michael is, for example, super strong in the super high-pitched clean voice where I'm already uh, shouting and yelling like a little pig. He is still clean and, and super majestic. And when it comes to like all these flying opera uh, melodies, uh, I think nobody wants to hear a dying singer like, you know, so it's perfect because, you know, okay, I can, I cannot do it, but Michael will do it. So cool. Mm -hmm. I leave that. I leave that melody because Michael will definitely sound brilliant. And yeah, um, no limitations. To the contrary, actually, you have more tools suddenly. When you recorded this, I know that there were two different versions of Skyfall released with a couple different, you know, vocal takes on them that were used. And did you guys record the entire album like that? Record like each part, like everybody sing on it, and then you pick the parts out, or did you pick them out and then just record it like that? It was was a little mixture of that, but you could say both of us, both both singers, uh, went through 70, seventy or even eighty percent of the whole album that we sang both. Um, but not, I, I mean, we never sang in the way of this is now for eternity. So we just checked and, and made some, yeah, rehearsals and, and do you feel good with that? Yeah, do you feel good with that? No maybe you sing it so you could say that's that's what i that, that's what i was trying to explain in the beginning that with two singers you suddenly had double as much time effort to mm -hmm. do the job because everybody wanted to check it out i mean i was confident here and there that that it should sound good with me but then again i'd rather give it a try and let michael sing it as well and we had an a b comparison and suddenly you realize you realize okay, I can sing it, but Michael sounds much better on it. Sure. Or, or Michael can sing it, yes, but Andy needs, uh, we, think, we think we need Andy here because it's much more brutal, it's much more, you know? Yeah. So, and this, this gave, from the time, it was definitely double as much work as being the, the only singer. Right. Um, but overall, it was a lot of fun, you have to say, because we made a lot of bullshit down there in the studio, so... Yeah, I listen to you. You sound like a like a frigging frigging mermaid. And you sound like a fucking devil. So what do you what do we prefer here? Mermaid or devil? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. oh, let's, let's 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 go with the mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that one of the things that really struck me about the record, you know, it's one thing when you go play live shows together and you bring these guys in, like Kai and, and Michael. Um, that, you know, the live shows go really well, but then when you make an album, it's usually a completely different animal, as we say. And it really seems that everybody musically, the musical chemistry aspect really just gelled really well together. You know, typically when you add more members to a band that the tightness of the band is really, it, it's harder to get that. And you guys have achieved that 
really well. And then you did it on the album. And you guys, to me, have done something that really nobody else has done. There are bands that have talked about it, but they haven't been able to do, mostly due to egos and things like that. And I just find it amazing that this has happened and everyone's happy to be around each other. You know, it's yeah. not, you know, and, and I'll give you a perfect example. When I met you guys in Chicago and I met Michael, he looked at me. The first thing he said to me was, wow, man, this is unbelievable. This is not how it was when I was in the band before. That's the first thing he said. Mm -hmm. And everybody was in this great mood. And I think that it's amazing that you were able to achieve this. And, and now that you're doing that, you're doing this, do you plan on, you know, making another record at some point after this next tour, whenever that happens? I would strongly hope so. I mean, as long, as long as the vibe is great, chemistry is great and everybody is having fun with each other, it would be, would be crime not to do so and not to plan for, for a future together. Mm -hmm. Like pumpkins, pumpkins United is, is not only, not only the name for, for the last tour. I think that's, that's something like the brand. I mean, what? Mm -hmm. It's Halloween Pumpkins United. That's that's something like a, a band, <laughs> a new band or something like growing from the old band. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just can tell you, getting along with each other. Um, I think it's it's rooted in in the matter of fact that we're finally too old for the other shit. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, from a certain from a certain age on, you let other people live, and you don't don't take everything personal. That's what what actually talking for my ass. Um, whenever somebody told me something that could be um, looked at in a in a negative way, I took the negative way. Mm -hmm. Even though when you look at from the positive side of you you could say well man maybe it was even a compliment because have you seen it from that side was that no i see that's that's what happens when you're getting older you don't take everything like on the negative side shit or oh, he's attacking me or he's, he's like um he he is meaning bad he's meaning something to to humiliate you or intimidate you or whatever mm -hmm. so um meanwhile i may say that everybody in the band even together now with seven people, I have to say, everybody is old enough to not always look at it from just look look at it from the negative, but also try to try to realize who is talking. So I cannot imagine that the boys are meaning bad if they do if they speak about me in in a sense that I could take negatively. But because I like everybody, I, I personally think, well, I don't think they're talking negatively. But so, so I, I try to find the sense in a positive way. And most of the time, 99.9%, .9%, it's exactly that. It's nothing negative. It's positive. But back in the sure. days, I remember everybody, every, everything I took was negative. Like, you know, when I was my 20s and 30s, then when you get 40, it's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe... Maybe it's just you don't give a shit anymore, you know. Yeah. I mean, I love I love that book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. You know that? Well, I know the book. It's brilliant. I mean, that that describes it all. I mean, you have to learn that the subtle art of not giving a fuck. 
because in your life there's only so much fucks that you can give. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have to be you have to be careful. <laughs> I love it. Well, so I, I always I go in with you. I always tell people that uh, when someone says, "How many fucks do you have to give?" and I say, "Well, what number comes before one?" <laughs> kind of how that goes. Zero, exactly. It's kind of pretty much how it is. Uh, what I think is really interesting, what I really like about the record, and what I think really made this record sound great, was one, you ended up going back to some of the more traditional ways of recording a record. You put the drums on analog, and you know you had using Marshalls and and things like that stuff you hadn't yeah. used in a while. And I have to ask, I thought you really had the dream team of power metal producers and Dennis Ward and Charlie. And that had to be an interesting, uh, an, an interesting thing going on there. And talk about working with both of them on the record, because that had to be an interesting collaboration going on. Well, um, Dennis is more from, from the, uh, from, from the creative side. So uh, it's very interesting to actually have a guy who is, mainly sitting there with you uh, and trying to make things rounder. Mm -hmm. He picks up very, very, very fast. He picks up your ideas and uh, you try to work on, on certain things on your ideas that maybe are not so clear for the first listener. I mean, that's, that's exactly what, for example, I always have a problem when I listen to a record and I realize, okay, there are some things which are not round enough. Um, I don't get it. Uh, it should be like that and I would get it and this is something that I realize when I listen to other music but I don't realize when I compose my own music because certainly I know each and every tone of my composition which means certainly I understand it <laughs> but the, the, the guy who listens to it for the first time most of the time they have a big problem to, to get it and you ask yourself okay I know it's just a demo but it it sounds already, it sounds very good. So it cannot be the sound that's responsible for you not understanding the song. So, and then you have a guy like Dennis, who's like a hundred percent full musician. And, and he is listening to your ideas for the first time and can tell you like, wow, great. But here and here we have to find something that makes it a little bit more pleasant or a bit more ear catchy or whatever, you know? So, from that point of view, it was the first time that we had something like a creative producer next to the technical producer. Right. Which was very, very important because the chemistry in the band was never in danger of being destroyed because nobody inside the band had to tell the other composer or they had to tell me that something is wrong here. And because, you know, I mean, it's, it's always... You take it a bit more personal when it comes from your own band than, than from, a, from a guy who is paid to do that job. Yeah. So you, you don't, you'd never, at least I never took it personal. And that makes the work go much smoother. And uh, the result is great without actually damaging the band chemistry because I would have to tell Kai, I don't like this or that. Or, he, or Kai would have to tell me, Andy, this is, I don't know, I will, don't like it. So this is always mm, very dangerous in, in a band. Right. But with a guy like Dennis, spot on. Yeah, and you really, yeah. And, and it's, it's great because Dennis has done a lot of great stuff 
as far as producing a lot of great power metal albums and he knows the music really well um, yeah. obviously obviously you played in a band with him yeah. early on in your career so it, it, he has done in my opinion some of the best sounding records and i've noticed with a lot of bands that bands that were having issues before not necessarily you guys because you guys aren't falling into this category but certain bands that kind of needed that little step up mm. he he helped push them into making an album that was a lot better than what they've done before and yeah. i think the sound on this album is a lot better than say the last two or three records i think it sounds absolutely amazing with what was done on there and i'm going to get into the next topic um so as I've told you, my opinion and my opinion has not changed on this. The song Fear of the Fallen, in my opinion, is probably the best song you've ever written. I'm oh, going to yeah. be flat out honest with you and uh, talk about that song in particular. What is it about? And <clears throat> when you envisioned doing this song, did you envision you and Michael singing it? And, you know, talk a bit about that track, because that seems to be not only my favorite song, but there are quite a few other people that agree with me on that. Mm. Well, the fear of the fallen was was actually the idea that when everything goes down and on the planet here, everything goes shit and and close to be being destroyed or revolution or wars or whatever. Um, there's this old this old saying in like a, in Catholic myth, for example, but not only our Catholic myth; it's it's in all religions. There's this talk about that secret army which intervenes before mankind would destroy himself completely. Mm. And this, I just took these, these angels, actually, in the Bible, they're angels, and uh, I think the Hebrew, they call it different, anyway, um, Nephilim and, and blah, 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 all that <laughs> stuff. But nevertheless, we all, all religions have that in common. And I just took them as the biggest fear for the fallen angels, like the bad people, the bad guys who try to ruin or overtake Earth, like the old evil, good, good, evil game, you know? So, and I think it's, it's for me, it would be super nice and uh, super calming if I would know that there is a, a force like that, who before yet mankind destroys itself completely, they step in and actually kick some bad guys' balls, you know, and tell them, fuck off, you know. <laughs> and, and certainly from the point of view of the bad guys, this army would be that, their biggest fear. So that's why, I'm, why I said we are the fear of the fallen. Sure. Or, or here come the fear of the fallen. Um, so we, we rise when you're calling. And we are everywhere. We're even the voice in the choir. We are everywhere. You you just don't see us, but we're here. Right. I love that. I love that that idea. It gives me it gives me a good night's sleep. <laughs> well, the track was just amazing, and the way you and Michael traded off and then sang together on that was just something I've never really heard before, to be honest. Well, that that was uh, what, what I was was talking about earlier on when you suddenly have the possibility not to sing as your as yourself you're like the only singer and you have to make break <laughs> take in breath and, and all that stuff you don't need to care about anymore because you know you've got two singers so you sing uh 
A, B, A, B, for example. A is right. Andy, B is Michael, and you can overlap and you just don't give, give a shit. I mean, you just compose as if you would compose for string orchestra or something like that. You don't have to stop, you know. Just, right, yeah. I love that. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely very, very cool to know that it works out so fantastically because that will be a definite, a very important tool for, for future composing, definitely. So let's talk about mass pollution. You know, that what was funny is both of these tracks, maybe it's just because I've listened to the band for so long, it was without seeing any songwriting credits, I pretty much figured you wrote both of them. It's just the way mm-hmm. that they sounded. But mass pollution was another, probably one of the better songs that you've written over your career. And I thought that was a really great track as well. And, you know, maybe, maybe talk about a little bit of the lyrical content with that. Well, mass pollution, I, I wanted to make that little twist of an eye because it's, it's already close to, um, in, in, in the lyrics you hear, we are no weapons of mass pollution. And I want to have this twist of an eye of weapons of mass destruction. So that was my little game I wanted to play. Actually, it's just uh, about a rock and roll show. You're standing on stage and you're, you're kind of one with the audience and all hands up. Your, your, your hands are, are up as well on stage and just have a great big party. And when you see like the thousands of concerts we made so far and you see all these happy faces, there's no brutality or aggression. It's just like having fun. I think that's, that's the, great, the great thing about Halloween. It's more happy, happy Halloween and party and metal and rock and roll, but in a good mood. So no... Not the typical metal aggression where you actually think, okay, they're going to kill themselves now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave it down there in the audience. I want to see fun. I want to see positive, positive life to life uh, expressions. And then that's Halloween audience, I think. And so I want to have a party with them. And even if it's getting loud and it's getting sweaty and everything, then uh, nobody should tell us when there are 10,000 people having fun and party in, in, in a concert hall, nobody should tell us that this is the wrong kind of music and it's just noise or bullshit like that. I, I don't want to hear it anymore. Um, and you can see because of the success we have and already had, like before the album, we, we went top two and top three with the whole African album. So there was evidence enough that there are so many millions of people out there who don't consider it noise. You know, yeah. Um, unfortunately, we do have the media. The media probably will never play uh, rock and roll, rock, hard rock, or metal in the radio anymore because it's simply too expensive. Yeah. So, um, record companies are definitely going for the cheap music, and cheap music. I mean, I talk about music that you uh, make on your laptop, only you. It's electronic music. You program. And you can do it in your living room and sell it, sell a whole album for a thousand bucks to a record company. And this is the music they try to sell because for them, it's no risk. It's only making money. Mm-hmm. If we talk about real music, like even jazz, rock, metal, handmade music, you have to definitely dig deep in your pocket and pay a lot of money for production like that because it's real people. You have to record real drums. You have to record real guitars. You have to have real studios. So that's not a production being done in the living room. And that's why I'm saying um, rock, metal, it's, it's uh, a, a music that is being enjoyed by the people who love it. 
but they love it not because of the media, because in the ne- in the media in the future it never will take place anymore. Right. Simply, well, simply too it, expensive, and they they they're not going to make money out of it. So well, that's going to happen. What almost feels like you know when you get to these streaming services, they basically have are like the new radio. In, in a sense, you know, yeah. I mean, when you get the stuff like Spotify and the, the Spotify thing is this huge debate, you know, going on. Uh, yeah, some people love, love hate thing. No? Yeah. Every, people love it. You know, like, like, for example, here's my, here's my, uh, my take on it is obviously it does not pay the bands very much at all. Probably, if I if I recall, it pays them less than what bands would get paid by their publishers because the radio stations generally they pay the publisher and then the publisher pays the songwriters. What usually would happen, yeah. but bands really aren't getting paid that much for Spotify. But then, what ends up happening is you get people like my son who's not old enough to work or have a job mm-hmm. suddenly coming to me and saying, "Dad, I listen to all of these." awesome albums. I was listening to master of the rings and I was listening and he was list these records, these mm. albums that some of them I haven't listened to in 10 years, but all stuff that I absolutely love. And so it kind of opens up to a different audience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, that's, that's why I'm saying it's a love hate thing for me, Spotify and, and Apple music and all teasers and you name them. Um, but because we don't have um, radio, for example, <laughs> who uh, are being more or less paid by the record companies like used to be in the 80s, pay to play, you know, that old, that old mm-hmm. center. Yep. Um, but when you realize as a record company, oh, it's much easier to make a lot of money if uh, we buy a record for a thousand bucks and not for 150,000 bucks, which means, okay, you go for a electro pop instead of metal. Yeah. So, and, uh, Spotify is then giving us again a chance to be heard. So you have to also see it from the other point. I mean, that's my point of view. But the negative thing is, yes, they're not paying anything. Assholes, bastards. Um, there was like 4 million streams. You have like 3,800 euros, for example. That's, uh, yeah. Actually, it's a slap in the face for everybody. So we, we don't talk about money when, when we talk about Spotify, <laughs> at least not at least not on the artist side. <laughs> yeah, but, but then again, um, having Spotify is is at least another chance to be heard. I think that's sure. that's the, the most positive thing about it. Yeah. If, we, if we would find if we would, if we would find a way that artists are paid a little bit more, that you actually may may survive. If you have millions of clicks and you survive with, with uh, Spotify clicks, then I would say, yeah, okay, fine. But um, as I say, when you get 4 million clicks and, and you've got only 3,800 euros, yeah. sorry, mate, I mean, who can survive? We'll talk about a year and uh, everybody who would say, well, you would tell that, that you got 4 million clicks, everybody would probably think you're, you're rich as shit, you know? Yeah. But uh, the reality is, is completely different. Sure. And that's the love-hate thing. The other weird thing, trend that seems to be continuing, I thought it would be sort of a fad or something that was kind of like, yeah, it's cool now, but then people won't be into it, is vinyl just keeps continuing to climb in popularity to the point yeah. now 
where yeah. every factory you can possibly imagine that makes it is months behind in production. And yeah. I never would have thought that something like that would ever happen. And yeah. my 15 year old son is obsessed with vinyl, mm-hmm. obsessed with it. And there are people that go out and they'll not only do they love how it sounds, but people are buying their these old school setups and paying insane money for old audio equipment like old yeah. receivers and things like that. Yeah. And it, did you ever envision something like that happening? Because physical product was on the decline and now yeah. vinyl is up, up and up. Well, honestly, I, I thought it's just about audio figures, like audio files or audio fields. What are you saying in America? Mm-hmm. Audio file. Audio file. Okay. Um, but you're right. I mean, suddenly it's like normal people like you and me who, who discover Vinyl. I mean, I know vinyl because back in the days when when I was starting to to listen to music, uh, the the best thing you could have was a vinyl player. The the alternative was a bloody cassette recorder. Even this didn't sound bad if you had the right cassettes. They were like metal ferro cassettes. They, mm-hmm. they were, and they sounded amazing. They sounded like a great little tape machine, you know. But uh, vinyl was spot on and then suddenly in the in the 90s i realized okay i'm doing my first album i record my first album but there was already the cd overtaking the vinyl i was so unhappy because i I, like you I'm, i'm completely i'm a vinyl lover a cd gives me nothing a cd is so unpersonal little piece of shit where you've got this great vinyl wow artwork everything inside big yeah love it yeah yeah and you know you get obsessed certain bands i'll buy every version of it because Mm -hmm. it's just kind of cool you get into that that realm but you know i've been no it's not an audiophile thing i've been liking it for years actually Mm -hmm. but it's crazy how like if you pre-order something from a label it's really not their fault just they they i don't think they anticipated the demand for it and that's what yeah. I think is interesting. And a lot of people, besides liking the music, a lot of people like the bigger artwork and, and an actual big thing you can actually hold on to. And I think that was also a lure. And a lot of younger kids are getting into it. It's not just adults, it's kids. Yeah. yeah. Well, not even talking about the frequencies and the dynamic range. I mean, no. a, good, a good produced vinyl has definitely the better sound. Superior, superior thing. A CD cuts off in twenty uh, in the lows and twenty thousand in the heights. Mm-hmm. People are people argue, but you cannot hear twenty thousand hertz. I said, yes, I can. <laughs> and if I can, being over fifty, you can being thirty or twenty or even younger. I'm not talking about all these overtones that where, where I give you where I give you right. Yes, you can't hear the overtones. Yeah. With, which are way beyond 22, 23, 24,000 hertz up there in the But when they are gone, suddenly you realize that something is, ha- is happening here. It's getting, right. it's getting lifeless. Same for the subs, for the bass. So yeah. vinyl, a good vinyl is definitely superior. I can tell you that the Halloween album that sounds the best on vinyl, at least newer album, would be The Seven Sinners. Right. And okay. I don't know, and it's just, I don't know if it's just the way it's recorded, but I can tell you, I know when that album had come out, we talked about how 
the album was recorded a little bit differently at the time, but for whatever reason, if I listen to that on vinyl, it just, the sound on it is unbelievable. Uh, You know, uh, from, from just the sonic perspective from, for my ears compared to say what it sounds like on a CD. And I, and I really honestly think that that's the one Halloween album, you know, from the more modern era, you could say Mm -hmm. that sounds better on a vinyl album than it does on the CD. That's just my opinion. Well, I would have to look into the preamp side because it's because we are producing mainly on Pro Tools, except yeah. the last album, which was recorded on on twenty four track tape machines and then on Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. But I think because it's always my system down there being used, um, the only thing that could could have been changed was or are the the preamps. Sure. So I think maybe that was the time when we changed to API, API preamps. American, by the way. <laughs> API. I love them. Got meanwhile like twenty-four tracks of APIs down there, and just enough to record a good, uh, uh, to record the drums on API, and some neves to it, and that's it. But I, we changed around that time. I think might be the preamps. We used American stuff and suddenly it sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but what was interesting though is that when you listen to like the album, some of the albums after that, it doesn't sound like that. There's something about the frequencies in that record. And I have to go back. There's an interview I could probably go back to to check out. But I just remember we t- talked about the way it was recorded was a little bit different. And it's just, and, and when you listen to it on vinyl, it's, it's, it's just got a much better sound to it than the cd does in my in my book and okay. yeah. made, i never made an ab comparison now i will <laughs> <laughs> so, so so we could do that so i have to tell you i think that when i was able to see you guys at stage you know the one thing that i noticed is that there was as a musician obviously you know if you mess up most of us that watch you you know you don't really pick up on that as much but I mean, the band plates so tight and so well together on stage. And I know that five of you have been together for a very long time and you bring these, you bring the other two guys in and it just got even better in my, in my opinion. And was that difficult for you guys? When you guys went and started rehearsing, was it difficult to do that at first or did it just come naturally right away for you? No, it was, it was definitely difficult because you had like suddenly you had three guitars. I mean, for Michael, not a problem. I just, uh, Michael and I just had to sit down for a few days and what do we sing together? What, what, what do we want to do solo, blah, blah, blah. But with the guitar, the extra third guitar suddenly, you had to invent from, I think, 50% of the songs did not have a third voice or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, you, could, you, could, you could go the lazy way and say, oh, you play unisonic, uh, like, like um, you play unisolo, you, you say? Exactly the shit that, for example, Wacky is, is playing, you just double it up. Yeah. Or what, what Sasha is playing, you just double it up. That would be the lazy way. But uh, the boys went the extra mile and, and actually tried to find a third voice wherever they could. And I remember when Michael and I were, then for the first time coming into the rehearsal room, the boys already were rehearsing for four weeks. And Michael and I entered the rehearsal room, listened to the music and said, um, here, here, and here. 
the third voice sounds great, but when I sing over it, it will not work. So he had to disappoint the boys because they, they suddenly found something great and then the singers come and destroy it again. <laughs> when, when the singer harmony is being added, it, it doesn't make sense anymore. So sometimes it clashed. And because we don't do jazz, we don't want to have any blue notes and have a wind music. Right. So we had to get rid of it. And you had to sit down again and find a voice which would certainly, um, yeah, may, may live together with the, the singer's melody. So it was not so easy, actually. It was a lot of work, definitely. Now it's much easier because the new material is already written for three guitars. I don't think when, we will, when they will rehearse the stuff for, from the new album, there should not be a problem at all. Sure. And, and it's interesting to point out one of the things I thought was cool is that you just named the album Halloween and yeah. then you obviously have an oil painting as mm -hmm. the cover, which mm -hmm. was interesting. So how did that come about? You know, because I know there, I know Wikey was telling me about some names that were discussed, but then we just settled on Halloween and they have obviously have the oil painting on it and talk about why was that painting picked and why did you just decide, Hey, we're just going to make us, we're just going to make a, a self-titled album. Well, the painting was uh, the idea from beginning on to go back to the roots. So not only sound wise, but we wanted to have that guy who made the famous keeper um, covers and, uh, well, he painted a few ideas, and uh, this was the idea everybody was hooked about. It's like, yeah, it's combining all the most, or let's say, the most important records of the career are somewhere hidden in that oil painting. Sure. There are some keys, there are some rings, and there's the guy from the Jericho and all that stuff. And yeah, we liked it. We just liked it, and it's, it, it looked very arty super arty so i would love to have that real piece here in my living room which i never will because it's uh everybody would love to have it so it ends up in the rehearsal room <laughs> so, <laughs> oh so but, you guys uh, you guys actually have the painting yeah yeah i mean we don't have it yet but it will be in, i probably it's already in the rehearsal room I've, i haven't been in the rehearsal room since over a year now so and uh and uh Concerning the name, probably it was because we couldn't actually vote for the final title. There were two or three suggestions on the table, but uh, never ending discussions. And I don't know, and I think this is better and blah, blah, blah. And Marcus was then at the end of the story, he was interfering and say, well, why don't we just name it Halloween, period. And everybody thought, hmm. Not a bad idea because it's like that Pumpkin United lineup. It's a new lineup. And if we want to go on like that, maybe just show the people that that, that there is a, a great chance that this boat will keep on the way it is now. Keep on swimming. <laughs> so with seven band members. Also, I think the number seven is great. <laughs> it's typical Halloween. Yeah, too bad. Too bad there weren't seven guys and seven sinners. That'd be pretty funny, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven sinners, <laughs> seven keys. I mean, yeah, love it. Seven people in the band, seven yeah. sinners. That's that's seven. great. When when you guys went and played live, too, you know, there's obviously some. You guys sang different songs together, and what I thought was interesting is when the live album came out, you actually had Michael singing on 
quite a bit of the song Why from Master of the Rings, and I thought he sounded really good on it. Yeah. And when you guys would do this, is was this something that was impulsive? Like, did you guys decide, hey, before the show, we're going to sing this? Or have you ever had, you've ever gone on stage and someone just starts singing a part and kind of surprises you? Has that happened? Uh, not a surprise, actually. It was more uh, jumping in when somebody's having a problem, for example. Sure. So in Mexico, for example, when Michael was completely fucked up and sick, um, I sooner or later realized, okay, when, when, when he fucks up and can't go on singing, I just pick up the microphone even backstage and sing along. Yeah. And, uh, and he thought, hey, that's great. Thanks for your help. And the very next day we made it public, so to say. So whenever he, he needed help, he just called me and I was standing at the side, but the people could see me and I sang along. Yeah. So the same he did for me three or four times in Japan when, when I was fucked up. Yeah. So it's, it's great to have two singers. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah that, you know, that's, it's interesting you say that because you could, if one guy is having a bad night, you know, singers, yeah. obviously you go through phases. Let's say you get sick, which yeah. unfortunately you go to different weather patterns around planes. You know, yeah. you go, you go into places. The worst thing is when people get air conditioning, when the air conditioning is too high, it's usually yeah. what destroys your voice. But when one guy's kind of having an off night, the other guy can kind of pick that up and and vice versa. And I think that really, it, it makes the stress a lot less for everybody too, which I think is was yeah. really nice. And then, you know, Kai can sing on certain parts and some of the older yeah. stuff like he does. And yeah. it's, it's it, like I said, it's, it's like a match made in heaven almost. I, I just never imagined this ever happening 20 some years ago and now here we are i mean to yeah. me i think the band's at the highest point in, in in its existence i mean that's how i view it anyway yeah i mean the, the question is always arising how much can you how, how how high can you rise i mean um there would be the impossible dream that's that's still missing would be an, uh, a top 10 album in the united states but <laughs> so i mean honestly a few years ago we we dreamed about having a number one album in, in germany or here in, in my country where i live since over 20 years in spain mm -hmm. um, and suddenly i have a number one album in germany and in spain so the last last album hits number one i mean Wow, how, you can't go any higher. You can't climb higher. It's number one. That's it. So, yeah, the only thing now missing is certain countries where you could actually have a top 10. For, for US, I would wish a, one, once in my life a top 10. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know what it did here. I'm actually looking up. Where did it chart here? I don't know. I'm about to find out. Um, it look it looks like in the U.S. it actually went to number thirty-five is what it says. Billboard Top Two Hundred is where it said yeah, it peaked at. I think it was something thirty-five or something in the yeah. U.S. Yeah, yeah, it's thirty-five. I just I just so went only, only only fifteen higher, <laughs> and I would be happy already. Yeah. So top twenty would also be great. Yeah, but interesting. It was in Spain. It was number one. Uh, you look at, uh, yeah, that's pretty awesome. And it's Spain and Germany, yeah, number one album, and pretty close. Like in, like in, like in Sweden, it was. It looks like number three. You know, it's it, it's pretty, 
it, it did really well for you. You know, and the other thing is too, is that I think you had the biggest headlining show that Halloween's ever done here. I think in Los Angeles, if I remember in the U S mm-hmm. is what I'm talking about. And it, it just, it really, like I said, to me that the whole positivity of this whole thing has just been pretty amazing. And I think that as, you know, as a singer in this band now for man, almost what, 30 years, almost. I mean, it's getting up there. Uh, this is to me is, is uh, 28 years, 28 years. So I just think that you're at a high point and I think there's still a lot left to go higher. That's me. Think higher. Always always allowed to dream. (laughs) Yeah. Think higher, right? You see what I did there? Think higher. Remember, remember that song? I remember the song. I don't know why it just popped into my head. Then I thought about that. And that was my, my little, my little pun as we say here. So as far as the, as as far as uh, another record is concerned, obviously, you know, there's all the restrictions and the touring and stuff isn't happening uh, right now. And it always constantly changes. Have you started writing any material for another record? Yeah. I always have like four or five ideas where I'm constantly working on them. Mm-hmm. If I, if I want to have a good night's sleep, I'd rather finish them to erase them out of the system. Otherwise I lie in bed and, compose and go and be like ding 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 and the, the hard drive is constantly spinning and they can't sleep then sure. so when i have this these ideas then then i definitely have to sit down in the studio record the shit and then it's recorded and i can get it, i can finally erase it of my bad night sleep spinning bullshit drive up there you know so um that's that's a must so i have to i have to collect ideas during the day out for example, when I walk down to my beach, it's a 30-minute stroll. And 30 minutes constantly singing melodies, whatever, planning, composing in my ma- in my head. And be- beware when I have an idea. And I- I'm really like, wow, that's it. And I can't sleep for the next two or three days until I finally sit down in the studio and record it. So for me, there's no other way than, re- to-, than to-, to actually record stuff. Sure. There's always ideas. It's my hobby. What can I say? (laughs) Yeah. And as far as touring goes, you know, everything's kind of crazy in the music business right now with, with the whole pandemic thing. Every, does it make it difficult? Because every country is different. Some countries have restrictions. Some don't. Uh, Do you, obviously tours keep getting pushed back in, in many ways. And do you see this, this whole thing really changing the music business itself from that angle? Or do you think that, you know, it's not going to change people are going to eventually when all this hopefully is over, you'll have, you'll be able to play shows like you were once before. Um, what if the restrictions would be gone, then I think we find back to normal concerts. Mm-hmm the way it used to be, even though probably each and every musician and, and definitely even rock and metal heads will, will definitely enjoy it much more simply because in the back of my head or in the back of our heads, we know uh, it's not very, um, it's not long ago. We could not visit a concert or I could not go on stage. So I probably enjoy the fuck out of it. So sure. Definitely. Um, 
it, it all it all depends on how much restrictions they want to keep. So I just hope that when this whole nightmare is over, that they that that they won't uh, still in let let install uh, let these restrictions are being installed, but get rid of it. But uh, in the moment, in these political times, I, I really don't think what the plan is. Mm-hmm. It, for me, it's, it looks like a, uh, as an artist, I, I think it's a big conspiracy against artists. <laughs> Because the only, the only people who really cannot work at all, who are completely dumbfucked, are musicians. Yeah. Every, everybody else has a, has a chance to, to work here or work there or in between, but musicians can't. You cannot even schedule a tour because it has to be postponed again. And uh, even you paid you, you you paid a lot of money for for booking a tour, and all the money is out of the window. Then you go and book another tour; it's again out of the window. Now it's number four. Four times we booked a tour, and this time again we have to postpone. So how how long can you do that? I mean, sooner or later you run out of money. You know, the album turned out great, and uh, you know, hopefully. You guys get back on the road soon, man. I yeah, really hope so. We, that's what we all hope. Otherwise, I mean, the only the only solution for everybody is that you, actually is that live shows probably in, in the future take place only in summertime. Mm-hmm. So there are three months, maybe even maybe even four months the year where you can when you when you, where you can get get out of your house playing some shows on some out for out uh, open air fields or whatever. Sure. I don't think that the concert hall thing will take place anytime soon. Uh, you know, the one last thing, you know, that I'll ask uh, as far as the interview goes is, as I always ask for every everybody, every band that I talk to, do you have any last words for the fans that will be checking out uh, this interview? <laughs> yeah, well, let's hope for the best. Let's hope that we are sooner on the road than we, than we dare to hope. Um, thanks for waiting, but you know, we have to wait too this time. So <laughs> everybody is waiting. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, stay healthy. Have a good time anyway. Glad you loved vinyl. <laughs> so it's the US and Germany or over here in Europe, you could say it's the same, same phenomenon. So everybody is out for vinyl and I love it. And you just, you just told me that, uh, You have to wait a lot of time actually to finally get a production on vinyl being done because they are already booked out for months or years even. Yeah. Over, over here in Germany, um, the owner of our record company, Nuclear Blast, Marcus, you know him probably. I do. I know both Marcus is why I've talked to both yeah. of them before. And he bought the last available press of Europe. And he says he would he would love to buy three or four more, but there's nothing available. Right. They are all in work again. All of the old presses are in work again. You know, um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because they he basically formed a new label. Yeah, you know, the did. Atomic Fire. You know, and I thought you know, let's talk about that. That's the one thing I forgot to bring up okay. is is the Atomic Fire because a lot of the guys that he brought in are people that he's worked with and were with nuclear blast for a very, very long time. And I thought that 
it was really cool how they have a nice core of really good veteran bands that have been around and then they bring in a crop of some younger ones and talk about that whole thing you know because now it almost seems like there aren't as many bands and it's a lot easier for them to devote more attention to the ones they do have as you know the attention you don't have as many that you have to spread that around to you have you you can really promote them and give them a little more attention than say they would have gotten a nuclear blast where there were so many more bands yeah, I think that that was the whole plan behind it. Actually, he wanted to shrink. He he probably did not enjoy at all anymore this this hundreds of band things, mm -hmm. uh, hundreds of band. Um, it, it, he's a very personal guy. He wants to touch you, and each and every ten days, you could say there's a message. Hey, what you're doing? What's up here? What's up there? Maybe I come to visit you on the island. Blah blah blah. So he, He's a guy who needs a personal contact. Yeah. And, and I think when you have hundreds of bands, there is no personal contact anymore. No. But if you only have a dozen bands, then you touch base here and boom, 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 boom. And I think that's what he needs. That's what he enjoys. And I think he wants to get, he wants to prove again himself that probably he will build up another monster. And that he can that he can do it that he still can do it i think that was his favorite part of his life when he built it up bit by bit having more and more success i think this is something that that he is looking for and honestly i cannot tell you i cannot tell you for how much he sold nuclear blast but probably he did a good job and it did a good business here yeah so he probably didn't sell it for 250 and an egg <laughs> yeah and i think it's i think it's really cool that it's just a small amount of artists. I'm actually on their website right now. I'm looking at this and they don't have a crazy amount of bands, but you can no, devote so much more. You could devote a lot more as far as resources to the ones that you have. Yeah. You know, so, you know, uh, they have some bands that have been around. They have you guys and Primal Fear and Michael Schenker signed to the, the label and, and Meshuggah, they've been around a long time. But then you have a couple bands that you haven't listened, heard about before. And I, I think that the labels that seem to be doing very well from the from the perspective of the artist as far as promoting them i could tell you from my standpoint the artists with fewer bands i have a lot i have a much better relationship with the label sure. because they're able to devote more time to fewer people and Absolutely. i think that that in this day and age in social media where you, yeah you can reach more people but there's so much more out there yeah. I, I think that that's a very important thing and I, and I liked the move i thought it was pretty cool yeah me too and for the given reason for the given reasons and also i think um he's probably planning with like a, a few few headliners only you can actually bring up all the youngsters you know like back in the old days you you had a chance to support this or that act, and inside the the own in inside one record com company, it's much easier. If you talk about like the buy on, yeah, it's not I'm not talking about the money the band like Halloween wants to earn because there's a band supporting. No, buy on means they have to participate in food, trucks, buses, everything. All the expenses that the main band has to pay for. It's, right. being used, it's being used now also by the support band, so they have to pay their share. But if, if, if this is all in one record company, I think uh, it's much easier to deal with the costs than to actually 
yeah, go into what's the right word business uh, with 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 a second record company. Oh, we don't want partnership. You know, so yeah, much, much easier if you handle it inside one record company because that's how it, how they started back in the days. Sure, one, they had one or two more less successful bands, and uh, all the unknown bands were participating. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's exactly what he's trying to achieve. Again. 